1: Hello, Mm.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Paranormal Peanut Butter Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Peanut. Today we shall talk about peanuts, paranormal peanuts, positively purple and pink peanuts, playful peanuts, peaceful peanuts. And of course, I'm lying. This is Tales with TR, episode 170A. I'm your host, Terry Ryan. That being said, peanuts. Peanuts. They're so frequent. They seem to be, frequent. the wrong word. They're plentiful. Plentiful peanuts that are playful and peaceful. They, uh, I was thinking about it now. Where the fuck do peanuts come from? Peanuts. I picture a peanut tree, but I can't picture one in my head. For something so common, I can normally picture... I mean, it can't be a peanut tree. That almost sounds comical. Um, do they... You know what? I'm going to look this up. They're everywhere, yet I've never heard anybody say, let's go to the peanut farm, or let's... Uh, Go to the peanut tree. That being said, I mean, I've never heard anybody say, let's go to the banana tree either, but, you know. Let me see this. Where in the fuck do peanuts come from? Peanuts. Peanuts. Many people are surprised to learn that peanuts do not grow on trees. I'm looking at a picture, okay, underground. They do not grow on trees like pecans or walnuts. Peanuts are legumes, not nuts. Did not know that. The peanut plant is unusual because it flowers above the ground, but the peanut grows below the ground. Planted in early spring, peanut grows best. Calcium-rich, sandy soil. They don't even grow in Canada. They're only brought to Canada in 1982, and the only place they grow is the southern, the southern southerly part of Ontario. I assume that means, well, southern southerly. I guess it's warmest. Uh, Yeah, in the ground. I'm looking at a picture. I've never seen that before, which is wild. It's positively, peacefully, playfully wild. You would figure. Hmm. You would figure. Yeah, that I would have had an idea. Is that... uh, People listening, I wonder, ask yourselves, is TR an idiot, or did I not know what a peanut tree looked like either? Still feels weird even saying it. Any case, who gives a shit, hey? Thanks, Andrew Shaw, last week, and this week, being in just a few hours, I'll release it in uh, a couple of days, I'm interviewing Andrew Peters. Of the After the Whistle podcast, six solid years in the NHL as a tough guy, as a bruiser. I fought Andrew Peters in crazy rookie camp. Oh, God, those were just like back in the day, man. I'm telling you, I don't know what year. It would have been like probably 98, 98, 99 season going into my second year, second full year in the American League, third year playing a bit in the American League. I'd played in the NHL in 96, 97. And this was like, yeah, 96, 97. Yeah, I did actually. He's 19. This would have been at 22. So three years later, and they still made us all go to these rookie camps, right? And I'm telling you, they were just brawls. That was it. If, If you... I used to just get it out of the way. I mean, you'd come and you'd be like... Like, NHL is one thing. We would be wearing the jerseys, right? It would be the Sabres versus the Canadians. But it would be, like, two veterans playing. There's exhibition, and then there's these, like, early on rookie exhibition, right, where it's mostly rookies. But some guys have played in the A a little bit. Mostly guys from junior coming up. Pretty much everybody that you drafted coming to camp trying to make a name. Not everybody, remember, not everybody drafted is signed. So, I mean, you work towards that. And that happens... So, yeah, what I'm saying is that not everybody at camp is always signed. Yeah, there's a main camp and there's a rookie camp, right? Some people at rookie camp are signed, some aren't. Uh, more people at main camp are signed, but still there's, I mean, like anything, look at the Oilers now. They got Sam Gagne, they got uh, Brett Sutter, Brent Sutter, or Brandon, sorry, Sutter, right? They're NHL vets, but they're not signed. I sometimes say these things, and I assume everybody is down with the way camps work, and you're probably not. So I'll ask Andrew a little bit about that. But what happens is, man, you come to the rink and you're, you know, if you're supposed to do that at all, and he was coming in as a meat, as as a tough fuck, you know, like Andrew could play and everything. He's just big, like, ah, I don't know, six four, two fucking thirty, two thirty-five, coming in, right? And I remember we fought. And the clip, I'll probably post it on my pod, but on my sorry, on my Instagram. The clip I remember showing me, like just getting some jackhammers in, but it wasn't the case. Like he, remember, came back. It was a good fight, but you know how TSN like only shows you a snippet of it? And uh, I definitely got the win if you look at the snippet. But trust me, Andrew Peters gave me a few real good punches early in that fight. And he was just coming in, right? At 20, 97, 98, I led the American League in fights, 34 majors. I don't recall having him major that wasn't a fight ever really <clears throat> um so yeah like i would had experience but I, I still wasn't like even then I, w- I wouldn't have been considered a heavyweight um the situation i was in i played in Fredericton. there was a lot of our guys didn't fight at all right it was again a lot of guys the stereotypical quebec league at the time the flying Frenchman and stuff wasn't really that rare. We had a, or, or sorry, wasn't that far out of context. I'm not, knocking. who do we have from the queue? We had Stefan Robida, NHL fans, you know. I mean, Roby wasn't known to go out and throw his weight around, right? I mean, not at all. Uh, Eric Hood, a little bit in the show. Hoodie was a great minor leaguer. Wouldn't fight his way out of a paper bag. Love Hoodie, but wouldn't scrap. Um, Eric Belanger, Ah, God, let me think. We had Jonathan DeLille, God rest his soul, one game in the show. His one game was, uh, he's dead now, died in a car accident. Real, real terrible tragedy. Um, On the way to the rink in St. George, playing senior. Jaws of Life had to come, and the car caught on fire. The boys watched him pass away. I still, as he was trying to get out, it, it, it just, you know, in other words, two or three people had already gotten out of the car. They couldn't get Johnny out, and then the car caught on fire. Anyway. What a guy too. What a guy. Johnny would definitely drop his gloves. I completely didn't know what was happening, and he wasn't a great fighter, but unreal teammate. Um and yeah, just God, I smile when I think about that guy. Um he would, I remember like if it, I remember him looking at me on the bench and like, and really a, a, a lightweight, maybe middleweight, given that he he could fight a little bit, but he he wasn't no, he wasn't good at it a lightweight in a middleweights body but totally game and uh you know wouldn't sit back and throw but would fight anybody and just basically to because he knew what it meant meant to be a teammate I remember looking at me on the bench a few times and going okay like I'll do it like I I'm going to do it TR I'm going to do it TR tr, and uh, he would he go out and if it was Philadelphia or something you know and they had five or six for example um at any one time they'd have at least three of these guys dressed, uh Steve McLaren, Francis Belanger, Francis Lassard, Jesse bolaris Oh God, there's there's more. Oh god. So Payette and uh, Andy Payette. Uh they had Ryan Bast was pretty tough. Ennis Bonnevi, I mean, God, he arguably, you know, the biggest gamer, real tough guy. Oh, Frank Bialois, right? The animal. All those guys played at the same time, right? So if we went in with, now, we had Jerry Fleming, but Jerry ended up having to retire that year, couldn't play, was injured. He was a big guy, big guy, legit, minor league tough. Wasn't the best fighter, but 6'7". Six seven. Uh, Jerry, I remember my first camp in Montreal. He weighed in at 270. You know, you're talking huge, uh, you know, big, 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 big. Uh, but he was hurt. Dave Morissette, Moose Morissette, who now does radio up in RDS. Um, Moose could really throw. I mean, he threw with Probert, but it, again, he didn't play. He barely played. If he was playing, awesome. But even so, myself, Asham, uh, Darcy Harris. Gordy DeWire, all gamers, but we're all not, not Andrew Peters, Frank Bylowis, the animal, you know, category. Johnny DeLille was one of us in the middle. I I think I, I don't. I, I think given all those middleweights we had, I think the best fighters, quote unquote, would be Darcy Asham and and maybe myself when it came to like opening up and like throwing. Then you had guys like Gordy Dwyer who could like wrestle you into the boards and then pull you out gordy would tire you out and then start a little bit like darren langdon He wasn't as technically good but gordy could do that Um and uh you know we had some guys boyd olson was a real you wouldn't intimidate boyd you'd run him run him run him run him through the boards he'd keep coming at you like an energizer bunny just wasn't really very tough I, i mean with his with his hands but he was tough i mean Like I said, it's tough to just get in the ring, you know. In other words, just to step onto the fucking ice in that era and be successful as a tenacious player, you would have to be tough. There's no way around it. But anyway, uh, Johnny was one of those, you know, okay, I'm not going to see you guys fight me not. We're in Philadelphia here and we all want to, you know, he wanted to earn, I remember him saying that to me, uh, he wanted to earn his steak and beer afterwards. In other words, you know, I want to be one of the boys I'm here for you. Just an awesome, uh, awesome guy. I don't remember how I got there, but uh, much like Andrew Shaw, that's the kind of guy, you know, my last, my guest last week, Andrew Shaw. He's more of that mold, you know, like, again, he'll be humble. I wasn't a great player. Yes, he was, man, in order to be successful. He could have never actually dropped his gloves and still been just as effective. He won a cup for a reason. Fantastic third liner. Much like Aaron Asham, that, that someone gets injured, you can go up on the front, like, easily. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, Shaw could play with Kane and Taves, for example, and two great players on the team when he was playing in Chicago. But he did here and there, right? He would get up. He would get time. He would be on the PP here and there. You know, yes, you might say stand in front of the net, but you still have to have a bit of talent. You're not just going to put anybody there. Um, whereas Peters was like, okay, we got a tough guy on the bench. And he's going to take care of business if any of you guys fuck around. That was Andrew Peters. But um, Andrew has a podcast now with uh, an old teammate of mine, Craig Reve. He used to be the captain briefly for the Habs. Uh, and I believe he was the captain of the Sabres. Uh, Rivie, uh, yeah, the, their pod is called After the Whistle. And uh, pretty successful. So I'm going to shoot the shit. If you want to know um about andrew peter's career like you know you know the way i I, whenever i have someone on first i kind of go chronological order take take me through the narrative of your career kind of thing so we did have him on to do that and that was on episode i'll look up now okay it's episode 69 i had uh andrew on so that was september 20th 2021 almost uh two years to the day so it'd be great to catch up with andrew again and uh oh look at that i also had him on uh episode 17 and 18. so yeah i remember that god april 28th 2020 and may 4th so i had him on back to back those are great if you want to know the story of his career and you know what what made andrew peters andrew peters and his stories about fighting in the nhl and uh you know, I remember the big thing was dealing with retiring and, uh, and went to, he went to New Jersey for his last year and he wasn't, if you're not into it as a fighter, it's time to hang him up. And his, uh, his journey was so unique and yet so familiar all at once. In other words, a lot, like I, I talked to a lot of guys that that happens to play that role. You know, it's tough to just beat people up for, especially if, you know, you enjoy the game of hockey and you grew up playing and like, Andrew's pretty good. It was just that he was so very tough. That, you know, he became an NHL tough guy. But it's a really a rollicking story. Went to New Jersey and figured, you know what? I can't fucking do this anymore. I'm just not into it. And that will happen. You know, it's one thing to grow up full of piss and vinegar, come up through the ranks. And you want to fucking be that guy, you know? And, like, I remember. That's why I I tell the Ty Domi story and not in jest, but, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Like, you know, I was never really supposed to beat Domi and, like, you know, it was like almost like a fantasy for a high school kid, and I went up and I didn't get killed, and the story happened. I ended up fighting him three times. Anyway, it's all in my fucking book. I'm not going to get into it now, but realistically, looking back, like, Ty Domi didn't have to do that. He had, his job was solid. You know, you want to get in a fight just even even though it's only me. Do you really want to go out and take punches and go through all that in exhibition? But I, I think He felt, you know, someone had to do that for me, whoever was in the NHL when Domi was coming up. And even when Domi first fought Probert, Probert had already been in the league for a while and they had like two epic fucking fights. You know, I don't know if Probert had to say yes. It was a little bit different. I guess Domi was on his level in the NHL. But for me, for Domi up there, for every one of me, there's fucking 20, you know, like in that particular year in camp. There's thousands all over the world, probably more, that want to get on. Give me a shot. Let me fucking get up there and play this game and, you know, fight this guy. Like I said, you can't make yourself score, but you can go out and, and you can mix it up. So, for me, all of those guys that I fought up there that were NHL vets, um, a lot of them didn't have to do it. You look back, and so I, I believe... A lot of that, you know, a lot of Domi fighting me was kind of pay it forward, you know. Anyhow, like a guy like fucking Andrew Peters, you know, when, when you when you're 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 fighting such tough guys, when you lose the desire, when you lose the desire to fight, ooh, it's a whole new, you know, you're in over your head, man. I don't care how fucking tough you are, right? I mean, that's a question, I. Ask him about when he lost his desire to fight again. Sometimes it's a good devil and a refresher. Uh, decide. I'm, and I'm also really uh, I'm always intrigued by those guys. I mean, I lived it, right? I mean, I got in a lot of fights, um, and for me, there was a lot of reasons, but, uh, yeah, I. I, 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 so I kind of identify is what I'm saying. Look at my stats when I got called. When I was out of the Montreal organization and waiting for a trade, I went to Colorado Springs. I saw the world from that from those eyes, man. I did. When every game I got called up in the NHL for the most part, I only had one or two ships, right? And I remember John Hull saying to me, like, before I asked for a trade, well, after I did, he said, you know, there's a spot here for you. It's just going to be mostly fighting. We wouldn't have drafted you. Like, in other words, the people who drafted me being Serge abroad and Jacques Demers, they got fired. He said, I didn't think you were a good enough skater. He's very honest with me, but he said, you're real tough. You know, there's a spot there. And so, like, even my last shift, I joke with you. It was against Bob Probert, Cam Russell, and Mark Jansons. But, you know, I I fought Cam Russell in their eyes as as a peer, as like a parallel, you know. But in my eyes, I was still a scorer that, you know, what the fuck? I'm fighting Cam Russell. This is wild. You know, I never saw myself in that category. Looking back at the fights, a lot of them look pretty good, and I could definitely handle myself. But uh, anyway, I'm getting off base. So, the year I held out from Montreal, sorry, I ramble. I go all over the place, but I did. I, I asked for a trade, and I played in Colorado Springs that year. What happened was, I went down in front of the end. If you'll notice, I think I played 31 games. Had a good year. Good could be wrong. It's on my hockey DB, but I, I think I had 30 games played, 40 points and uh, 140 minutes maybe, which prorated is a, is a real good minor league career or year. But I went down in front of the net and a, a dude skated over my arm, man. I still feel pins and needles on the outside of it. And uh, so, you know, everything was cut. So I had to miss like two and a half, three months. But when I came back, Hershey Bears, Needed a player and they needed a, a a fighter, right? Who could, who could probably play on the third or fourth line. So now I'm not affiliated with any team here, right? They were affiliated with Colorado, go Colorado. sorry, the yeah Colorado Avalanche in Denver. I was playing, I was sitting out waiting to get traded eventually. And I ended up getting traded to Dallas, but I was, um, where I'd end up hurting my ankle. You've been following along in my book and stuff. But right before that, right, that season before 2000, I think it was 2001, I played in Colorado Springs. Of course, the Avalanche had scouts going to our games. So as soon as I was better, they said, hey, do you want to go up to Hershey? But they they in. But no uncertain terms, it was as a fighter, right? It was, hey, if someone gets injured, we can put Terry up. But, you know, like, again, there was guys on the team I'd played with, I'd played ahead of on Team Pacific just a few years, Team Pacific Canada. Under-18 Canada with Brad Larson was one of them. Check it out. Brad Larson is like my height and weight, um, very similar player from the Western League. Um, real tenacious two-way player. I was a bit better of a fighter. He was a bit better of a defensive player, and I think I had a little bit of a nose for the net. he um, gave me the, you know, at least in junior and in, in the minors. But Brad was a, a tremendous, tremendous skater and checker, and played a few years in the NHL because of that. Not, no, and I'm not knocking him one bit. I'm just saying he was signed with Colorado. So Hershey are asking me to go there to fill in the blanks on their team. But like any minor league team, right? Most of them are affiliated with the Colorado avalanche. So of course they're not going to put me on the power play. ahead of Brad. It's like when I played on the St. John's Maple Leafs, I was loaned out from Montreal. Right. So it's not like I'm going to play ahead of Adam Mayer or, or Kevin Adams that year. Who else, you know, uh, Konstantin Kalmakov, David Nemorovsky, Donald McLean, Sean Thornton, Ryan Pepperall, Jason Sessa. These are all guys signed with Toronto. So I've inserted into that lineup. Now played a little bit that year. It ended up being me, uh, Sean Thornton, Ryan Pepperall, Aaron Brand. Any three of those four were a third line that year, basically. Um, And... uh that was 99-2000, right? The next year, same thing. So when I went to Hershey, I knew that it was going to be to drop the mitts. And, you know, fought some tough guys that year. I can't remember. If you're looking at my hockey DB, eight games, I'm thinking I had like 40 penalty minutes maybe. I fought a few times. And I remember like, you know, a big guy, Matthew Raby, I think his name, R-A-B-Y, and he like jumped off the bench in the third period. and Our, our legit heavyweight tough guy steve parsons who's a buddy of mine i've had him on here um was wasn't playing that game you know so i was like the resident tough guy and i so i see the world through those eyes man going out there and going okay like whenever he steps onto the ice i'm gonna go out there and i fought him and that one went all right uh it really did i i, I think i might have got the better of him, but i was like jacked man and like you know before each game I'd, i i would Always be pumped up, maybe take a um you know, definitely coffee. I remember taking like sign you tab. How stupid. Like remember after that they told us like, what are you guys doing? But it would jack you up a little bit, smelling salts, you know, any fucking trendy um you know, method of the moment to get you jacked up. But I remember that. And then you just, you know, going out and having one shift, the fight being over. And job done right and they're getting high five from everybody come off have a beer you were part of the game like everybody but it was just a weird uh, you know view point <laughs> to, to to do that in such a kind of a, a meatball kind of a role i hate to say that and i didn't i wasn't offended at all what happened at the end of that year not that you asked um the Colorado Gold Kings was a level down, right? It was. It's all the East Coast League now. Back then, there was the West Coast League, the East Coast League, and I think the Atlantic Coast League. And then there were other leagues like the Central League, which is still there, the International League. Um. Anyway, the Southern Professional League, there's leagues. This would have been a step down in Colorado Springs, I mean, from the American Hockey League. But uh, I chose to go down there, and I played out the playoffs. Just because I, you know, it it wasn't helping me one way or the other. Hershey wanted me to stay up, and they offered me good money on a minor league contract. Now, (laughs) those guys I mentioned earlier on Philadelphia, that was just one team. And they're in Hershey's division. And so you branch out, you think of all the like guys like Derek Bugard were coming in, Brian McGratton, um, you know, Nasty Morasty was just hitting the scene there. In the early 2000s, I believe, uh, you know this, yeah, so I would have been signing a contract, knowing that I'm, you know I'm going to be fighting these guys all the time. And again, I don't mind doing it, but when it was only to fight. I just thought, I went in the first round a few years ago, what the fuck am I doing? But if I had to, I would have. right? If I had to, I would have. And a lot of those guys, that's the point that they get to. Right, they go up. They up. They go up. They they graduate. They graduate. They graduate, and then at some point, right, it happens. Not every guy who fights, but I don't know who was one in Montreal, Mick Vakoda, There was a guy. I mean, he had decent stats in junior and everything. Right. Um, there was guys on our team I've mentioned, Scott Thornton and Turner Stevenson. They dropped the mitts, but but they would play a regular role at least. Right, they would be on the third or fourth line. Um, or third line here and there. Even if they're on the fourth, they might go out and penalty kill a little bit, maybe in front of that on the power play. Mick was getting a couple of ships. Darren Langdon was getting a couple of ships to go out and throw throw punches, right? Uh, and that was often the case with Andrew Peters. But at some point, he was a good player, right? You look at his OHL numbers, not bad. You, you, if you go backwards into minor hockey, at some point, he dominated, Right? You don't play in the NHL even as a tough guy and not be a, a good player at some at some level. <clears throat> and like Darren Landon says to me, he's like, you know, T, I practiced with Wayne Gretzky for all those years, the better part of a decade. Of course I'm gonna get a little bit better. It's true, <laughs> right? Um, but anyway, just a fascinating way to see the world and the game. And I always wondered, you know. And there was times, you know, my NHL experience and that experience in Hershey, there were others, you know. Wherever I went in the minors, I kind of did it to myself by fighting so much in my last year as a junior and my first year pro. You know, I knew that I was on the menu for those guys, but for a guy like Andrew or, like I said, Darren Langdon came on this program, Rasty, to to go out and get a shift or two. And, And not only that. Do your job. It's one thing to go out and like penalty kill, but the shift that you get, twenty thousand people are going mad. I don't care what they say about fighting or, or how they try to remove it or 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 not talk about it on social media or whatever. There's no denying that people are going mad. Most of that crowd, the vast majority. Let's just say you're at the Bell Center watching twenty-one thousand people, uh, or in front of twenty-one thousand people. Most rinks, I believe, are more than even Winnipeg, I think, sixteen five. So they're anywhere from sixteen five to twenty-two thousand. Right. Most of these rinks are packed. They're looking down. You're 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 the show. So it might even be one shift, but you're the show. You might play nine minutes and just dump it in, dump it out, not get a penalty, do your job, kill the clock, whatever you gotta do. Uh you know, you you fight and you're going out there and you're going to be what some people the very reason they come to the game you're for a lot of people more exciting than the goals that are going to be scored so it's one thing to be have anxiety over taking a punch in the face from George LaRock who I'm telling you is massive when you see him in real life like you know back then especially when he was jacked he's one of many just knowing that you're going to go out and bare-knuckle fight, not just with gloves, you're going to go out and bare-knuckle fight somebody. Now you're going to do it in front of all these people. Now, not only are all these people going to be there, but the cameras are going to be there, and it's going to be beamed into every fucking hockey home in the world. Everybody who wants to see this tomorrow, millions and tens of possibly over 100 million people, depending on how the fight goes, are going to see this clip. How you doing? You know what I mean? So, interesting to say the least. And I'll ask Andrew all about
1: it. Football is back in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use promo code THPN to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network. The crown is yours with promo code THPN. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call eight seven seven eight hope ny or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms, and responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance, eligibility, and deposit restrictions apply.
0: Okay. Going to get this some music. Not going to surprise anybody here that I like the Rolling Stones, but Bishop in Comox, B.C., sends a question. Terry, have you heard the Rolling Stones have a new album coming out. Yes, I have. And what's your favorite Stones album? I think maybe, like, I might have towards the beginning. I can't see how I would have avoided this in my first year doing the pod. I think I talked about the Rolling Stones a couple of episodes, and I can't see how I would have not spoken about my favorite Stones album, Beggar's Banquet. Now, First of all, the Stones do have an album coming out. Those who don't know, check out the check it out on YouTube because the video is quite intriguing as well. Sydney Sweeney and Stones being the Stones. Uh, it's called Angry. It's really good. Uh, I mean, they're 80. Mick is 80. It's fucking amazing that it's even sounds connecting to make music. I mean, fuck. But it's smart. It's... You know it's it's just it's classic stones it's the it uh, you know they it's got the uh guitar riffs it's got uh mick being mick he doesn't try to do too much it's just like because i'm guessing you know how much can his voice take but i always underestimate the rolling stones i really like them i hey i love the beatles i don't think paul mccartney still puts out anything really relevant you know, every alley, McCartney put out an album every few years. He did my favorite one actually recently was a, 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 a uh, he put out like a, a, a dance almost thing. He, he called himself the fireman, the fireman. Okay. And, uh, check that out first and foremost. Sing the Changes. I'm looking at it now. I looked it up. I saw the fireman sing the changes. That wasn't bad. It was not, it didn't sound, it doesn't sound anything like the Beatles. You would never know Paul McCartney had anything to do with it. Um, And anything he tries to put out that's relevant. It's just, it's okay, right? It's Paul McCartney. It's not going to suck. But this is good. Like this, this new single, I can, well, I'm looking, I looked today, played it for a buddy and there's, went to breakfast there, and uh, there's already like 15 or 16 million views of the video. It's only been out a few days. So I'm guessing this is going to be relevant. I don't even know what the top 40 look like anymore, if it's even a thing, but this is going to make an impact, you know, like the Stones always do. I think it's been, they said 18 years since an album of their own material, but one of my favorite stone songs came out less than 10 years ago. It's called uh, doom and gloom that must have been released for a movie or something i'll have to look into that so if you want to some extra read extra listening i mean check out sing the changes the firemen that's mccartney and um doom and gloom from a stones album uh, yeah close to 10 years ago when they were in their 70s i thought it was odd then and you know you can go into your 90s i guess and be tony bennett tony bennett just passed away at a collaboration with lady gaga but it's crooner stuff right you can go in and snap those fingers, right? I mean, start spreading the news. That's a Sinatra is. It? But you can do any of those crooner tunes with the with the snapping of the fingers. I mean, Wayne Newton is still lighting up Vegas. But to have a rock band arrangement and, and to go out and sing about being angry that you're not getting laid. I mean, it's this could be the Stones in 1970s. Anyway. The most critically claimed Stones album, I think. I read a lot on them, their their music and in their books, and it seems to me it's "Exile on Main Street." Okay, now "Exile on Main Street." For those who don't know, I think it's considered great because of the circumstances. Okay, it was 1972. The Stones were the Stones. Uh Keith was in and out of rehab like real heavy. This was probably his heaviest of and he was on heroin, you know, everything, but he was on heroin more than anything. And you know, they 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 nearly split up. They went t- to record this album in a castle in Scotland, I believe. Uh is it Scot- Anyway. It's primal. Um yeah. Eh, exile. Like a lot of the songs you wouldn't even know, man. They, they they recorded in this abandoned castle or some shit. Uh it's you know, there's a lot of turmoil. They could barely I, I know they uh they they were banned from France from for, for having drugs on them for a while. I mean, they got busted a ton of times. I forget. They were banned from multiple countries around that time. Yeah, I just had to uh look up I, I forgot. Okay, they they recorded it in the south of France because they yeah, they were exiled. They were tax exiles from the UK, or from England, sorry. So Yeah, that part I had forgotten. But anyway, it was like back to basics. Uh it was a lot of Tumbling Dice, probably one that you would know off the album. I know I'm all over the place. I'm reading that. Rocks Off, Rip This Joint, Shake Your Hips, Casino Boogie. Tumbling Dice, you would know that. I think most people would know. Sweet Virginia, Torn and Frayed, Happy, Ventilator Blues. Yeah, a lot of these are are, uh, stripped down rock and roll songs um, that I would say angst, but they were going through a lot. Like I said, drug addiction, um, the possibility of splitting up, although they'd keep pressing on. but That's also a theme. Anyway, that's what Exile on May Street, I listened to it as a historical piece. I don't love it. A lot of people would consider it number one. Now, I said that because my favorite is definitely Beggar's Banquet. Beggar's Banquet, The psychedelic 60s were really inspiring and intriguing for a lot of reasons. And the psychedelic 60s almost correlated with the hippie movement. Like Woodstock happened in 1969. I'm assuming you know what I'm talking about. If not, I can't explain Woodstock. Look it up, read it, devour it. Everything about it changed the whole pop culture, the landscape of... Really, you could say that it changed the world indirectly and... Or really directly. It was anti-war movement. There was a lot going on. Uh, It wasn't just that. You know, young people just saying, fuck it to a lot of institutions. um, Think for yourself kind of thing. Wasn't all bad. A lot of it actually good. But anyway, there's a lot happening. So the Stones got back to their roots. So songs like Jigsaw Puzzle, uh, street Fighting Man, Sympathy for the Devil. Well, that's my probably my favorite Stone song. Um, it was a turbulent era for a few reasons. I mean, amongst the '69, isn't that the Year of Love, or you know, the Summer of Love? There was a lot of that going on, but it was a changement. To me, that love thing and it was a thing but the psychedelic movement was happening you know it was a lot of artists were born like all kinds of artists like the Beatles, the Stones they were a lot of bands now were starting to write their own stuff and be really creative about it whereas you know 10 years before that like I've already talked about Elvis was given a lot of his songs to write Paul Anka you know crooners would you know Nat King Cole I love all these artists but they were other than Anka was actually hired to write but became a singer because of that but you know it was mostly people in ivory towers in new york la wherever some places down south wherever the record companies lived and set up shop so you know all of a sudden to me there was just an open-minded wave of freedom of, of we can do it we have a voice We can stop a war. We can write songs. We can put out albums. You know, Andy Warhol, you know, artists started to, not only in music, but in TV. Color TV came in. Movies started to go from, you know, Leave it to Beaver kind of themes to The Godfather. You know, there's a lot happening. The Stones got back to their basics and... Uh, put out Beggars Banquet. Now, I, I believe that was in the late months of '68 and early months of '69, if I'm not mistaken. So, it kind of correlated with all that. And the Stones always had something to say. It wasn't always in rebellion. I just like it because, you know, I'll, I'll often say I like the Beatles' creativity more. But the Stones are really a blues band. I mean, it's it's really almost ignorant to categorize them like that, but. When they, came, when they started, that's kind of where they were coming from. And, you know, like rock and roll with a bluesy tone. At least that's the way I take it when I listen to the early stuff. So this got a lot of my favorites. Uh, Sympathy for the Devil is obvious. I like Dear Doctor, Parachute Woman, Street Fighting Man, Prodigal Son, Jigsaw Puzzle. I don't even know if it's a hit, but it's probably my favorite song on the album. Anyway, you know how we're all connected with an album some way or another or even a movie or a skit, whatever it might be that turns your crank? For me, I like to turn off all the lights or at least close my eyes and listen to these albums start to finish, okay? So there was some times in my life, definitely when I was going through my concussion in Montreal... Really, I never really talk about that. But, you know, I made it at 19. I only played four games. I had that bad concussion. They had so many injuries. I would have gotten in. I, w- I was depressed, man. Sitting in Montreal, made the team, and I can't play because I can't see the other so- fucking side of the ice. And when I would watch TV or play video games, or it could, it, that would often wreak havoc on my eyes and my head because of that. So I spent a lot of time sitting in the fucking dark. Okay. And when I did that, one of the albums I would listen to was Beggar's Banquet. So I can feed bullshit up your tush all day about, you know, how good it is for this reason or that reason or when it was recorded. But sometimes it just means something to me, right? Sometimes it just means something to you, right? If you're into fucking, I don't know, Joan Jett. Right, Maybe it's not I love rock and roll and hate myself for loving you. Maybe you like her early stuff with The Runaways. And it just makes you feel good. So you play a Runaways album. For me, Beggar's Banquet represents that. It's easily digestible. It's the Stones being the Stones. Um, I think it's Mick and Keith at their best. You could definitely argue against that. It's debatable. That's why... I love talking pop culture because there's no real right or wrong when it comes to that stuff. And uh, it's all subjective, right? It's all opinion. So for me, that's the reasons that I love Beggar's Banquet. The new album, Hackney Diamonds, comes next week. And uh, the single is out now called Angry. Check it out. Even if uh, you're not a rock and roll fan, have some respect for history. And uh, one of the greatest... um, Bands, goes without saying, but even duos in Mick and Keith. I know, I know, no offense. To Ronnie Wood or uh, Charlie Watts, just passed away. He's on the album, a couple of songs. Or for that matter, Bill Wyman, who's on this album, apparently. I mean, Bill Wyman must be fucking 85. Uh, Brian Jones, Mick Taylor. Ian Stewart. But to me, yeah, my favorites obviously are not obvious, but Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. But, you know, they've written a lot of songs together too. I don't think they're quite Lennon McCartney, but they're up there and they're absolute legends. And I love the Beatles' creativity, but the longevity of the Stones and how good they've been for this long and that they're still putting out relevant stuff. And they've always been creative and they've always, always known to change with the time. Look back at their album, I mean, you you go to, I don't want to keep beating the dead horse, but Miss You, 1980s, kind of reggae almost. Uh, this song is, Angry is, is relevant to really anybody. It comes in at a decent time. Rock and roll is not the most popular right now, but it's teetering under. It's right there. There's still bands that, are out there the 1975 i have to mention Greta Van Fleet uh you know there's even really i mean music is so transformative and ch- i mean a lot of taylor swift stuff's kind of like rock and roll really you know it you change an instrument or two or a verse and all of a sudden you know people put it in the dance category or the pop category i find a lot of country music is like rock and roll if you take the twang away from, I don't know, Eric Church. Same instruments It's a you know, the Eagles I always thought. They could be country. Uh, and I think a lot of people put them there. But without trying to classify rock and roll from pop, from trance, from dance to reggae, the Rolling Stones roll with the punches. They always have. And they're still putting out relevant stuff. And uh, that's groundbreaking and genre breaking to the tune of still being one of the most relevant bands on the planet. And I think that is mighty fine. It is interesting. It's quite the accomplishment. So check it out. Hackney Diamonds next month. Angry right now, folks. Ah, forgive me if I ramble about music after a coffee, especially, but, uh, Thanks for tuning in, Andrew Peters, coming up for me in about an hour, for you guys in two days. 170A, if you're downtown, St. John's, you want to have a beer, you want to have a chat, you want to have a good time. Check out Trinity Pub, check out TJ's Pub. Why not go to Rob Roy Confusion, the Martini Bar, of course. Bull and Barrel, why not? Of course, Greensleeves Pub. Did I mention TJ's? Uh, If you're going to grab a bite to eat, do it at Merchant Tavern, Blue on Water, of course, Wedgwood Cafe on Elizabeth Avenue. If you want to change your life, you want strength and balance for the body and mind, look no further than Ryan Power at Power Conditioning. True Hockey, take what's yours. They're going to be sponsoring us at the Chicklets Cup in just three weeks in beautiful Buffalo, New York. Once again, I'll get into that next time. And... You want to go to Mr. Lube, there's two locations here in St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador. One's on Torbay Road, one's on Camelot Road. Live, laugh, lube, and Pitbull Pain Relief, the pain sticks that don't quit. Check it out at pitbullpainrelief.com. Folks, I'll be back in just a couple of days with Andrew Peters and more Tales with Tiara. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you all on The Rebound.